good morning to the Winter Warriors. You are the Winter Warriors, and good morning to those of you watching remotely at home. Maybe we're the Winter Warriors, but you're the wise winter endurers <laughs> for not being out in the elements today. But hopefully this time next week, or maybe the week after, I'm not sure, at this point in your time together as a church family, John Mueller will be out here sharing with you once again. I'm uh, praying toward that, and I'm sure many of you are too. More about that in a few minutes. A couple of weeks ago, before many of you knew, because it was just breaking news that he had COVID and the flu in combination, a couple of weeks ago, I was invited to come at the last minute, and we did some reflection on God's love. If you might have been here, you might have been watching from home, you might have seen it sometime since because you were not available that morning. But when I shared and we reflected and uh, five or six of you from the Sunlight Church family came up and shared some reflections on God's love, we, we really did several things. And I just want to review to, in a sense, put the ball on the tee for what we're going to be doing this morning. So just in general... The first thing we did was we, we looked at this amazing truth from the Bible that was displayed in Jesus through his life that God offers us love. Now, it's his kind of love. It's not an earthly level or an earthly type of love. And John chapter 15, 9, in this conversation Jesus had in the upper room, he said to his followers, and they passed it on to us as his followers over 2,000 years later, Jesus looked him in the eye and he said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. And we looked at the fact that that remain in my love is like, what does that mean, remain in my love? The best way to understand that word is to amplify it. Your version might say, abide in my love. But it's to amplify it by saying, Stay close to my loving heart for you. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in my right mind, that's where I want to be. I want to stay close to the heart of love that my Savior has for me. And then in the upper room conversation and in other places in the Bible, we looked at and reflected on the fact that because we have so many lesser definitions of love, so many different ideas of what we think love is, that Jesus had to go out of his way to redefine it. And he let us know that really only his kind of love can satisfy us. It's almost like if you're a gas engine, crude analogy, if you're a gas engine, you can't run on mayonnaise. You know, you, you can't go to a mayonnaise pump and put mayonnaise in because you're not going to be able to run and be the engine you're supposed to be. Well, you can put mayonnaise in your tank. It's just not going to get you very far, right? Well, in the same way, we were made to experience God's kind of love. Not puppy love like Donnie Osmond sang about. Not any of the other kind of lesser types of love. We were meant to, to experience God's love and live on it. And that was the second observation we made. That God doesn't want us to wait until heaven to experience it. Sometimes we think, you know, 
it, okay, someday when everything's out of the way, including my own stubbornness, my own selfishness, my own sinfulness, someday I'll be able to experience it loud and clear. Well, in the upper room with the disciples, Jesus said, no, I, I want you to experience it now. And later in 1 John 4, 16, we read these words, written by the same one that wrote the Gospel of John, the Apostle John. He says, and so we know, that's present tense. It's not like, we're going to know someday. He said, and we know and rely on the love God has for us. So you could say, this is a testimony of John following up that last conversation that Jesus had with John and the other disciples in the upper room, where he, he encouraged them, I want you to stay close to my heart of love for you. And what is John's testimony? I did it. I've experienced it. And I've learned to depend on that and live with that fuel in my tank. A third thing we thought about a couple of weeks ago is that the central way to experience God's love tangibly, concretely, is through fulfilling what Jesus called his new commandment. 1 John chapter 4.12, again, written years after he was in the upper room with our Savior, John says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Remember what Jesus told the disciples, I have this new command for you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's, the, it's repeated three times in the upper room conversation. It's the only thing that's repeated more than once, actually, is the new command. And obviously, it was pretty important for Jesus to get it across. What do you think it got across to John? I think it did. But Jesus didn't mention anything about 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 in the upper room. He didn't mention anything about, hey, guys, guess what? When you fulfill the new command and you love one another as I've loved you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to experience my love for you personally in a richer way. He never mentioned that. But guess what? That's what John tasted. That's what he experienced. That's what his testimony was. So God offers us his kind of love. He wants us to experience it now. And the central way we move toward experiencing it is not in going off on a retreat by ourselves. We can do that. But the central way to experience it is through fulfilling the new command. That's John's testimony. Now, I would like to suggest to you that Perhaps the second biggest theme in this upper room conversation didn't have to do with, didn't have to do with um, any instructions about what he wanted the disciples to do in the future, about any specific review of any items, but it has to do with something else God wants us to experience. He not only wants us to experience his love in an ongoing daily way, but there's something else he offers us to experience. And he brings it up twice during this conversation in the upper room. Twice. And it is his peace. His peace. Now, for years and years and years and years, and even until somewhat recently, as I've been following our Savior, the word peace has been a little bit out of my reach to understand. Jesus, what are you talking about with your peace? It's a little bit elusive. It's a little bit like ethereal, if you know that word. It's, it's a little bit 
beyond me. Is it maybe that it's not a real world term? To be honest, I've wondered that. I've wondered if, okay, if I can experience God's love now, that's great, but maybe I can't experience his peace until heaven. But guess what? In the same way as he approached the disciples with wanting to experience his love, he did the same thing with his peace in this upper room conversation. He offered them his kind of peace, and he had to redefine it just like he did with love, his love. And he told them he wants us and them and us to experience it now. We don't have to wait till heaven. And he urges us to put our hearts in a place to experience it. Well, I don't know about you, but in our day and age, if there's one thing we're needing a little bit more of, it's peace. And I think some of us might have hoped that going into 2021, in our culture, in our nation, in our world, in our relationships, in our jobs, that it's going to be, okay, we're going to turn the corner and things are going to settle down. Things are going to be peaceful. And for some of us, perhaps they have become more peaceful. However, I'm finding the more I talk to brothers and sisters, maybe you're finding the same thing, that, wow, it doesn't seem like a change in circumstances is coming. And that becomes the first mistake we make when we think about experiencing God's peace. Because I always think, okay, God, if you're going to let me experience your peace, it's certainly going to mean that you're going to change my world around me. It's certainly going to involve changing my circumstances, changing how somebody is relating to me, changing how my health is doing, changing how this is going and that is going. It's going to involve something like that but when we look closely, as we're going to do this morning, in just a series of a few reflections at what Jesus talks about regarding experiencing his kind of peace, we realize, wait a second, it's not circumstantial change like we might expect or even demand of him. Now, it is true, based upon the conversation in the upper room and other places in the Bible, God wants us to experience his love every day. He wants us to. He wants us to stay close to his heart of love for us. Peace, however, is more of a as-needed kind of a commodity that Jesus offers us. There are some times in our lives when things seem to be going smoothly that we don't feel an inner desire for his peace, right? But the times like a, a year with COVID or other circumstances and challenges going on in our lives, you would say, wow, yeah, I really do need God's peace. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. Whether you're watching it this morning at home or you're watching it in the next couple of days, I would like to give you an opportunity to make this really personal. So I'm going to pause a few times and just give you a moment to think about an area in your life that you would love to have more of God's peace in. A place that you would love to experience his peace. It might be a relationship. It might be, like I mentioned earlier, your health or the health of somebody very close to you. What, whatever area it is, I just want you to think about it. Now, some of you in this room are thinking right now or at home are thinking, just one area? <laughs> just choose one? 
Well, you can choose one or two, but I just want you to reflect on one or two areas where you can think about, okay, what would it look like for me to make God's peace and what he wants to experience of, my, of his peace personal? Because I, I want to tell you that I have come down through the years to one of two places. One place, to be honest with you, is I doubt whether or not God's peace is avail available for us here on this planet. I've struggled with that. I've wrestled with that. And most of the time I've wrestled with that has not been in what I've experienced personally, but it's in what people that are close to me are going through. It's like, how can they experience God's peace in the midst of that situation? How? How can they do that? So down through the years, I've struggled with doubting. But in the last few years, that is clarified, and I've struggled with something different. And that something different is this. Okay, maybe I don't understand what God's peace is. Maybe I don't understand what I'm asking him for. Maybe he's offering me something far different than what I'm anticipating. Are you with me on that? And I believe that as I've reflected on this upper room conversation, I've come to realize, wow, it's not that he doesn't make it available. It's, look, it's like I'm looking for peace in all the wrong places. I'm looking for peace in all the wrong shapes and sizes and forms. And so with that in mind, let's begin by considering this, that God really does, like Jesus said, he really does offer us his kind of peace. Okay, so let's back up, half a step back. If he offers us his kind of peace, when we use that word peace, what are the first things that come to our mind with peace? You know, man in the street interview, you come up to somebody with a microphone and say, how would you define peace? What would somebody say? Peace is comfort. Peace is calm. Peace is no war. That's probably how I would respond to the man in the street interview. Absence of war, absence of conflict. What else? Peace is knowing that God has us. You might get that on the man in the street interview, but probably only through a Christ follower, right? Okay. What else? Peace is okay. Somebody might say love. Somebody might say security. It's a feeling of security. They might say, peace is um, a smooth life, where everything in my life goes just the way I would design it or script it to go. Now, it's interesting, the word peace in the New Testament is often used in those kind of ways. Is that interesting? It's used 91 times in the New Testament, and often used with a kind of, I guess you'd say, everyday definition of the word. There is one place that it isn't defined, but it's, it's obviously elevated to become even a more important word and feature in our lives as Christ followers, and that's Galatians 5.22. In Galatians 5.22, Paul writes this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. By the way, those first three were mentioned by Jesus specifically in the upper room conversation as things he wants us to experience before heaven. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
So it doesn't define it there, but it elevates it, doesn't it? Whatever it is, as we come to understand it, whatever it is, wow, it's really important. So what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on what Jesus had to say about it. And, and I'm just going to whet our appetites this morning because I've really been doing a lot of thinking about this. In my own journey, walking beside others, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. So you might want to think about this and make a note to yourself, jot down a verse to come back and think about later. But I would encourage you to think about the area or two that you would like to experience God's peace in. As we go through this, I'm going to try to keep connecting you to that as best as I can. So the upper room conversation, do you remember what happened a few hours after the upper room conversation? Jesus was betrayed. He was beat up all night long, and he was on the cross by the middle of the next day, by actually by the morning of the next day. So Jesus is having his farewell conversation with his disciples, and he's been warning them it's coming, but now he says, hey, guys, this is it. I'm leaving. It's, it's, it's over. And can you imagine living beside the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, the perfect, loving, other-centered, unselfish Son of God for three years, and he says, I'm leaving, and I'm passing the baton to you now. It was not a cheery time around the table when Jesus mentioned it, to say the least. And so... They needed his peace. They needed to experience his peace. And five times he uses the word in the upper room conversation, his peace. And he is sharing with them what they can experience from it. So put yourself in their seat, so to speak, and think about the areas in your life. Maybe they don't compare to Peter and James and John, but put yourself in their seat and realize that God wants you to experience the same thing. And reflect on that as we read his words in John chapter 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And, and, and I hear this in a tone of patient tenderness. That's what I hear. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, you might be very astute and say, wait a second, Steve, he hasn't mentioned peace yet. You're right, but he's getting ready to. And this is where he, he lets them know that even though I'm not going to be with you, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Remember how he shared that phrase with them? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. But notice he doesn't start out by just identifying the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. What does he refer him to first? The counselor. Your version might say the helper. Your version might say the comforter. But the best way that I think we can translate it is the way this word is used all the way throughout the rest of the New Testament. You know what the word is? The encourager. The encourager. So, with a capital E, you could say, with a capital E, Jesus is in introducing the Holy Spirit as the encourager, as somebody who's going to come alongside, just like that song the worship team led us thinking about, how he's going to walk with us and walk beside us. 
It's almost like he's starting to set us up and help us understand that the peace he's going to offer us is something different than what we would normally think it would be. He goes on. Right after he says this, his next sentence, peace I leave with you. Boom. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Interesting. Don't think about it in the terms of the world's definition or even more disciples, Christ followers 2,000 years later. Don't think about it in terms of what you expect my peace to feel like. That's a big struggle for me. I have certain expectations of what I think God's peace will feel like and sometimes what it should feel like. Come on, God. Let it feel like this. But Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Does that remind you of a verse, a pretty important verse in this upper room conversation? Remember when Jesus looks him in the eye and they're really troubled at the beginning of the conversation? He says, what does he say? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. Remember that? So he's letting them know, hey, heaven is, I'm going to go get heaven ready for you. But he wants them not to be troubled right now. Okay, true confessions. Sometimes we can use passages in the Bible devotionally as we're reading through them and think they're saying something that they're not saying. Okay? So for years and years, as I would rush through this conversation, and I would rush through it more quickly than I should have, when I would rush through this conversation, I would get to those words, don't be troubled. And you know how I translate it inside of my own head? Don't sin by being worried. That's how I translate it. Like, disciples, don't sin by being worried. Okay, because in most parts of the scripture, you, you gather that worrying is sinful. At least I do as I bring my heart to the Bible, that worrying is something that shows I'm not depending on God. Therefore, I'm sinfully trying to work things out on my own. Worry. But you know what? He doesn't say, and it never struck me until a couple years ago, he doesn't say, don't worry. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he comes back and he reviews it when he talks about the fact that he offers them peace. And so I did a little digging. And that word troubled is used three times before we even get to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, he uses it in verse 1, as I just referred to, and he uses it here in verses 25 through 27. But there are three other times that word troubled is used before we get here. One in John chapter 11, one in John chapter 12, and one in John chapter 13. And guess what? This just hit me like a lightning bolt. <laughs> that in all three of those occasions it was used, it was used to describe how Jesus was feeling. Well, if Jesus was the perfect son of God, and if worry is a sin, then having a troubled heart isn't the same as being worried, right? So in chapter 11, 
he comes up to Lazarus' tomb, and he knew what he was going to do. He knew, he knew he was going to bring him back from the grave, and that was going to be a huge turning point in his ministry. A lot of people were going to put their faith in him, and the news was going to travel to Jerusalem, and it was going to precipitate a lot of things to happen, including the crucifixion. When he walked up to the tomb, everybody was crying, everybody was sad, the mourners were mourning, and it says, and Jesus was troubled in spirit. It's that word. So he's telling them, don't let your hearts be troubled, but his was. In John chapter 12, it appears again. In John chapter 12, uh, a few Greeks come up to ask Jesus a question. They say, hey, Jesus. Um, actually, they had to talk to, I think it was Philip or one of the other disciples. Hey, can you ask Jesus this question? And so the disciples often served as relay messengers. And they went to Jesus and, and they said, hey, Jesus, what? You know, here's this question. And Jesus used that analogy at that point unless a seed dies by falling into the ground, you won't be able to sprout and have life spring forth from the dead seed. And he was referring to his coming death. And then he goes from the analogy to explain the analogy, and he says, as I say this, my heart is troubled. So when Jesus approached Lazarus's tomb, the apostle John, who wrote the book of John, observed Jesus' heart was troubled. Now Jesus in John chapter 12 is describing his own heart in his own words as being troubled. Then in chapter 13, when they're sitting around the table after he's washed their feet, it says from John's perspective, Jesus' heart was troubled again, and he said, hey guys, one of you is going to betray me tonight. One, one of you is going to betray me. So three times it was used of Jesus' heart coming up to before John chapter 14. And now John, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Jesus? Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. What do we make of that? Well, I haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet, if you could call it that, but there's something going on there that Jesus wants to experience our trouble in a way that we don't have to. That whatever God's peace is, it involves him bearing something that we don't need to bear. Him carrying us, carrying a load that we don't have to carry on our own. Something along those lines. It's not what the world offers. He makes that very clear. I don't give to you as the world gives. And you obviously get the implication here, it's better than what the world offers. Just like God's kind of love is better than any human level kind of love, God's kind of peace is better than any human level kind of peace too. It's better than what the world offers. It's like, okay, what the world offers, that's the kind of peace I might really like to have. That's the kind of peace I might really want to have. But the kind of peace God offers it's the kind I really need. It's the kind that my engine was built for, so to speak. And then he uses, to, to drive it home for us, he, as we just referred to, he refers to the Holy Spirit as our helper. 
a person to come alongside, a person with a capital P because he's the third person of the Trinity, but a person to come alongside. It's, it's like, okay, God, honestly, for so many years, I've pictured your peace, and maybe you have too. And maybe this is part of what you're missing in as you're looking to God to show his peace in a certain area or areas in your life. But for years, I've pictured his peace to be like available through a, a wave of a wand at a distance. He waves the wand. He sends his peace. I experience this inner whatever. Comfort, tranquility, ooey-gooey feeling. I experience that, and then, ah, I've experienced God's peace. But that's not where he's driving at. That's not where he's going. At the same time, as we look at these verses, let's go back to John 15, 14, 25 through 27. As we look at these verses, he definitely wants us to experience it now, right? I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. So he wants me to experience his peace instead of a troubled heart or a fear, fearful heart. Sign me up. <laughs> Is that where you're at? Sign me up. If he wants me to experience his peace and it's going to replace this troubled sense I have in my heart. And, and the word troubled, as we look at it over Jesus' shoulder in John chapter 11 through 14, and as we look at it other places, troubled doesn't mean like somebody is um, troubled mentally, you know, maybe having a mental illness that they're struggling with. It's more like a person who is unsettled, hurting, incomplete, not at rest, disturbed. It, it, it means those, and he wants, to, he wants to bring something different. So he doesn't so much say avoid the sin of worry, and once you avoid the sin of worry, you'll experience my peace. That's not what he's driving at. He's saying instead of bearing your burden unnecessarily, allow me to bear the trouble in your heart. Allow me, through your trust in me, to take away your fear. You're not controlled by your fear. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Okay. But still, we're a little bit intangible, aren't we? It's like, okay, I'm thinking about the area in my life where I'm struggling and I'm, I'm wrestling with it. Um, how does this translate into my everyday life? How does it translate into those experiences? Well, the first thing that we have to realize is we have to, and I've had to do this personally, and it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> it's not like, okay, I've stopped doing it the old way, now I'm doing it the new way. It's like, it's like a dimmer switch instead of a light switch where it goes off and on. The dimmer switch where I'm becoming more and more aware of what it looks like to put my heart in a place to experience God's literal peace as he defines it and as he offers it. So as we've read these verses, it's obvious that we have to invite and allow God to do something this way. 
to help us through troubled times. And one of the first things we got to do is say, okay, I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle for the earthly peace. And that could, that could mean when you come home from work after a rough day, you open the fridge, you don't go for liquid peace. It could mean any variety of things that we say, we're not going to settle for that. When you and I say, what I want to do is I want to bring my heart to God, put it in play so that I can experience it. Now, at the very end of the conversation in the upper room, and it's a long one. I mean, you don't, you don't usually sit down and read it in one sitting. It's a long conversation. Guess what is the last thing Jesus talks about before they leave the room? As Gomer Pyle would say, surprise, surprise, surprise. Peace. He talks about peace. The very last sentence in John 16, the last sentence, and it records it as the last sentence of this conversation, is verse 33. Jesus says this. John 16, 33. I can turn there if we're frozen. 16:33. Remember, they're getting ready. He's told them he's going to be betrayed. He's going out. And the very last thing he says to them is this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But take heart. I'm sorry. I skipped something. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Then he gives a promise that I've never seen on a magnet on anybody's refrigerator. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. So peace, experiencing God's peace, is not the absence of trouble. It's not the absence of difficulty. It's not the absence of challenge. It's something that God gives us in the midst of all of that. There we are. We have it on the screen. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, Jesus, that sounds a little, let's be honest, a little raw, raw. That's how you want me to respond when I'm, when I'm experiencing trouble in this world? To take heart? To take heart? To, to show courage? Well, that's exactly what he wants us to do. Because to experience God's peace, and we're going to look at this in one last passage before we conclude this morning, we are putting our heart in play not by waiting for God to send it, but for trusting him and moving and living in a way that pleases him before we even experience it. Whoa! The Apostle Paul spends a lot of time on that. We're going to think about that in a minute. But first, I just want to give you an image. How many of you are Lord of the Rings fans? Lord of the Rings fans, about a third of you. How many of you are going to think less of me because I'm using the Lord of the Rings as an illustration? Okay, a couple. Okay, well, there's this um, amazing battle scene at the end of this, and, and they, these people don't have a chance. The good guys. The good guys don't have a chance, okay? And I won't develop all the characters for you, 
but there's this Shiro, this chick named Eowyn, who is quite the warrior, quite the female warrior, and she's got a hobbit on her horse, and his name is Mary, right? Mary? Yes, okay. So they, are, they, are, they come to the top of a hill, and they look down on the hordes of the, of the bad dudes, okay? It's a good versus evil trilogy, and evil is just sprawled out on the valley floor beneath them. Well, a few, a few scenes before this moment, Eowyn had told Mary, you need to take heart. And it, it struck me, it's like, why? Of course, the writer of Lord of the Rings was a believer, but I thought, why take heart? Take heart. That, that doesn't seem to help me very much in the here and now. Why take heart? And then when they come up to the crest of the hill, they're together, and now the battle's in front of them. They're seconds away from coming down the hill and taking on the hordes and the masses of evil. Guess what she says to him? Slightly different words. Courage, Mary. Courage. Which is a synonym for take heart. So there's a sense in which God's experiencing God's peace just might be conditional. Just like experiencing God's love is conditional. Now, receiving God's love, being forgiven of our sins and having a place for us in heaven reserved for eternity, that's unconditional. But experiencing that love, tasting it daily, depends upon my heart being open to his love. Shazam. It's the same way with God's peace. God's peace is conditional. It's conditional on us doing what Jesus said, which doesn't seem very practical, doesn't seem very helpful. Take heart. Lord, okay, I'll take heart, but what about your peace? You, told, you just told me that you, I can have peace in you, and now you're telling me stuff's going to go bad. It's going to be a rough life. But then the way I'm going to put my heart in play is to take heart? Lord, it seems like that's depending upon my action instead of waiting for yours. You know, I think if we had asked Jesus that question, I think he would have turned to the disciples and said, exactly. Exactly. It's waiting for your action instead of waiting for God's. That's when you put your heart in play to receive what God is going to give you. And the Apostle Paul, I believe, seized on this, and he closed one of his most popular epistles he ever wrote, the book of Philippians, with this key area of experience of God's peace. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and these will be the last verses we reflect on, these and the two that follow. Listen to what Paul said. Don't be anxious about anything, which could be translated, don't let your hearts be troubled, or close to that. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Those are words you've heard before, I'm sure, those of you who have been following Jesus for at least a short amount of time. Look at it this way. The, that verse does not end the way I would want it to end. 
and it doesn't end the way that you probably would want it to end. When he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here's how I want it to finish. And once you pray to God, then God's going to take the situation away. When you pray to God, God's going to take all those uncomfortable emotions away. When you pray to God, he's going to put his wind in your sails and you're just going to take off and skim across and it's not going to bother you. He doesn't say any of those, does he? The promise is not that he's going to change our circumstances. What's the promise? His peace, which is so much better when we come to experience it than any change in circumstances ever could have been. So much better. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I would encourage you, really, if you've not done it already, to jot those verses down. And just as you pray throughout the week, as you think, just to read those verses and reflect on them. To think about them in terms of what you're wrestling with, what you're wanting to experience God's peace in. Notice Paul says, in every situation. So it doesn't have to be one type of situation. It's any type of challenge where life isn't the way it should be. Wow. And he wants us to acknowledge it. He doesn't want us to pretend it doesn't bother us. It's not what Paul's urging us to do. It's not what Jesus urged the disciples to do. He doesn't want us to live in denial. You've got to be in Egypt to live close to denial, Right? He doesn't want us to live in denial. He wants us to experience his peace. And so what does he want us to do? By prayer and petition. I'm not sure about this, but I think it's a good possibility that he doesn't just say in prayer, but he mentions prayer and petition because he wants us to pray in two ways. He wants us to bring the situation to God. I think that's what he's saying about petition, I think. But he also wants us to bring our hearts to him, our troubled hearts. That's the prayer. So we bring our petition, whatever about the situation we bring to him, and we bring our hearts to him. And what's the promise? The promise is the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay. The promise is I'm going to be guarded it's not so much I'm going to experience this wah, that ooey-gooey feeling that sometimes we demand out of our Heavenly Father. But he's going to guard us. And notice that phrase I jumped over. The peace which transcends all understanding. Oh, okay. Just like so many other things I misunderstand about God, I misunderstand how his peace works too. Yeah, I don't get it. His peace works in a different way, and I'm going to experience it in a different way than I would have designed it, because it's beyond my understanding. And it's going to come out when I take heart, when I show courage, when I live in trust. And so that we could not miss it, Paul drives that home. And with this, we'll close. The last two verses. Finally, brothers and sisters, this happened, these verses follow the ones we just reflected on. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then the next slide. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And let's read it together. And the God of peace will be with you. When is the God of peace with us? After we take action. After we put those things in practice. That's when the God of peace is with us. And so if I could summarize my misunderstanding of experiencing God's peace in an over, overly simplistic kind of way, I would put it this way. For years, I would approach God and ask him for his peace and wait till I received it before I'd enter into a situation. He wants me to do just the opposite. He wants me to take my heart to him, invite him through prayer and petition to send me his peace, but before I receive it, before I experience that level of peace in the type of way that he wants me to experience, he wants me to step into the situation. Think about that as we close this morning. Why don't you close your eyes and, and just reflect for a moment. What would that look like in what you're experiencing in your challenge? What would that mean for you right now? Are you making the same mistake that I made so many times over so many years? Are you waiting to experience God's peace, his closeness, tasting him somehow before you step out and trust him? If so, what would it look like for you to move into this situation, inviting God to follow with his peace? What would that look like? And I would encourage you to reflect on that even as we sing this last song together. Make this song a prayer of, of God being involved in your life again. Because most of us have experienced God's peace as we've done this. But that he would do it again. So why don't you stand and we'll make this song our prayer.